the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Beautiful day out here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I'm beginning to like this global warming. (laughs) Anyway, let's start thinking positively. All right. Well done is better than well said. The, uh, oh, well, let's start with another one. We know what we are, but not what we might be. I believe that was Bill Shakespeare. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Confucius. And then finally, people forget years, but they remember moments. I can't remember who said that one, but anyway, I, I always uh, you know send you to my webpage. So if you're listening, WHK1420, you go right to their local podcast, straight down the Smart Investor Show. And you can go directly to my webpage. And uh, look, our insight uh, stuff has a lot of good information this week. Uh, they got a couple golf tips for you, you guys that were at the Masters. We had Dennis Johnson and his brother on a, a, a webcast, which unfortunately I didn't find out about till too late. So I only got like three of my clients on. And uh, but I listened. That was a pretty. It was it was very informative. About uh, they they asked me. Uh, a 15 handicap asked, um, you know, if I played uh, Augusta, what would I score? And Dennis asked, you know, I mean, I mean from the tees that we hit from and, and they cut down the greens. And he said, yeah, he said, you'd be lucky to hit 120. <laughs> anyway, also on our technical update on the front page under bulletin board, Rob Schleimer will still will soon take over Bob Dickey's place. Rob is more of a trend and cycle guy. Uh, so he's, you know, the trend is your friend. Uh, so he's more of a momentum guy than Bob was. Bob was more of a, uh, you know, he, he wanted to buy growth at a reasonable cost. Okay. He he loved looking through the no, the, the new low list for a while and watching them develop and then and then buying them. Uh, Rob Schleimer's waiting for a big breakout and then a pullback, you know, that type of thing. But he will be on board soon. So, to you know, uh, start watching. Also, if you'd like our dividend growth portfolio or our prime income list, dividend growth, these are companies that grow their dividends 6 to 8%. What a what better way to beat inflation? You got them beating, you know, growing 6 to 8% plus maybe 5 to 10% on the stock price, and you've got yourself great total returns. Dividend stocks are totally out of favor right now. Nobody's talking about them. You want to buy things when they're out of favor. Remember, buy yield when yield is up and the price of the particular instrument is down. Also, our prime income list is yielding 4.24% right now. Uh, And by the way, when you buy bonds or you buy CDs, you you get taxed at regular income. When you buy 
dividends, at least for now anyway, you get 15%. So there we go. We also have our top ideas, our, our ADR list, which is foreign stocks. That's American depository receipts. The reason we buy those is there's less fluctuation in the currency. Our small cap ideas are multi-cap ideas, you know, where large cap, small cap, mid cap, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. So there you go. Um, all right. So uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff to go over today. And I, I, uh, I want to start out just, you know, think about things a little bit. And, and uh, you know, by de- definition, uh, there's a thing called a micro-influencer now on social media. These are people who have between 1,000 and 100,000 followers with more niche audiences than an influencer with a large fan base, okay? In the pandemic, these micro-influencers have increased their earning potential. A sponsored post in 2006 ran between 5 to $10 on social. Last year, that number skyrocketed to $1,500 to $1,600. Hmm. The NCAA has a pool of money that factors in the results of the men's March Madness tournament, giving out one unit for each game a team plays until the final four. The further a team advances in the tournament, the more money the team's conferences paid. Uh, and it's on a rolling six-year basis, by the way. So as of 2019, each unit was worth $280,000, which means a run to the final four could generate $1.1 million for that conference for the next six seasons. That's why they, you know, they like to they like to get as many in the conference as possible. At the end of January, there are one million one point zero four million homes for sale. That is down twenty six percent from a year earlier and the lowest on record going back to nineteen eighty two. So if you wonder why the prices are up, the supply is down. You know, uh, you you buy supply, right? Uh, so there we go. Um, now. I, I was listening to – oh, first of all, i got to say, this is a live show, so you're, if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. And uh, I, I think it's uh, very important right now to uh, <clears throat> start to listen to what Lori has to say because she's, she's uh, been calling this, this right for a period of time. And she had five points that she made this week, and one or – is that investors are still skewed to the optimistic side, okay? However, they are they came in much lower on the bullish side than they were in December. <clears throat> so that's, that's a good. The second point she made this week was we had some – we looked at uh, better valuation assessments and improved outlooks for the, uh, the earnings per share in the U.S. economy, uh, and that's what has kept people optimistic. That's very positive because without earnings, we're nowhere. And a ramping down of expectations for when business daily life will get back to normal, concerns about the COVID variants and inflation worries contributed to being uh, less optimistic at this point, okay? So uh, the views on the buy side and among uh, RBC analysts are in sync on performance. However, the buy side is less optimistic than the analysts in 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 total, if, if we look at not just RBC's analysts, but across the board, uh, I think RBC's analysts are a little bit more down to earth is what I'm, I'm getting from Lori um, at this point uh, versus what some of the numbers are now out there, which, you know, I've seen I've seen some stocks get crushed because one analyst is uh, smoking something funny and he's got an anal- he's got a, a, you know, a really high estimate for both revenue and earnings. So and so I, I think. Um, 
one of the positioning things that we're seeing is the strengthening uh, for the U.S. value trade right now. So Lori is uh, really looking into that, and I think she's she's very excited about it. You know, um, I, I I was talking to uh, a, a couple this week, and and uh, boy, they were they were a bright couple, um, and uh, <laughs> they were they listened to my show. They're out in uh, Arizona, and um, you know, I talked to them. I said, you know, hey, we have this new new piece of uh, information for you. Uh, you know, they're, they're young professionals, okay? And so how do you, as a young professional right now, how do you start, you know, how do you start going forward with your investment and your, your retirement thought processes? And, you know, we all feel older than we are because we've experienced a lot of change in a relatively short period in the last couple of years. I mean, uh, you know, the digital world has picked up drastically in the last nine months uh, ever since COVID hit. Uh, you know, we, COVID's been a big change. So, you know, you have a memory of the dot-com bubble? How many people remember? How about the Great Recession of 2018? Will you remember the downturn caused by, two, you know, the COVID? Remember, in 1962, the Dow went down 25%. We had 19 nuclear warheads in Cuba. Anybody remember that? <laughs> you know? The Dow is up 25 times from that point. So don't let the people scare you out of the markets, okay? So, look, I think today's young professionals, many millennials and generated Z people, are living in a very tumultuous time in American history. You know, you had the Great Depression or Great Recession, you had the dot-com bubble. This is all in the last 20 years. Yet this highly educated and they're very tech-savvy and the resilient group may be better equipped to navigate the economic uncertainty than, than most other generations. So, look, I think you have to – if I am a – you know, somebody starting right now, I think the goal, your goal is to convey to yourself or write down on paper what your wealth plan should be, okay? Create your financial future. Start it today. You know, use your vision in your own plan. And if you don't, you know, I have a wealth plan that, you you know, you can – it's online, okay? Look, the investments that you make will be what's important to you. They have to be logical. They have to make sense, though, okay? You have to keep your debt under control. You have to have a financial roadmap. You got to know what you're doing. You got to start putting the money away now. Don't don't wait, you know? The 401k at work is a great way. You know, if you don't have to pay taxes – on your wealth, so the government, you know, maybe we have a change in government. They change the uh, the tax situation. That'd be very, very good. Make make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I talked to a gentleman last year, uh, last uh, month. He was 29 years old. He wanted to get started. He had 100% of his money in Bitcoin. It's a pretty good idea at that point. However, <laughs> you know, there was a thing called tulip bulbs, bulbs that went straight up. And they had about the same value as Bitcoin because no one knows what Bitcoin's value is. It was coffee that went straight up. Have you ever read about the coffee futures back then, you know, when the Dutch, you know, half the, half the Dutch economy blew up because of coffee? So, but you also, you've got a lot of powerful tools at your disposal now, all right? So look at that and then start life planning. And if you'd like, to, you know, any of this stuff, uh, please let me know. I'd be good, glad to send it to you and uh, take it from there. So, when the Biden administration poised to ramp up government spending further, uh, 
markets are casting a wary eye on inflation right now. And I think the infrastructure plan, if it gets through Congress, has the potential to improve uh, some highly supportive policy on the on the fiscal side. Now, I don't agree with everything they put in that that thing, and only a third of it's really going to infrastructure. Infrastructure, uh, some of it's going to uh, the internet, which is nowadays I, I would guess you could call the the infrastructure. But I guess how a Fed framework uh, that's already favorable to growth would get more so is kind of something we have to think about, okay? So both the Fed and the market are estimating a sharp spike in economic activity and the inflation in coming months, and and it's driven by a 1.9 fiscal stimulus, an economic reopening, uh, and an accumulated $1.6 trillion in excess consumer savings. You know, it was kind of interesting. Well, I'm going to talk about this second part. So a a lot of money went to cash in 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 the first quarter. So be interesting to see where they put it. That, but you know, stimulus payments are generally one-time or short-lived in nature. But the majority of the economic gains uh, will be for investing households will come from the next opening. Okay, so the infrastructure bill will likely be a considerable revision during the legislation process. So it may never pass it into law, for that matter. But whether it's final form, the key considerations for the Fed are likely to be the magnitude and the duration of the spending plan. And I, I think that's important because, look, we, we've gone full tilt here, okay? The Fed's all in. You know, I don't know if you heard Jeremy Siegel this week. You know, Jeremy's a uh, uh, professor at Wharton, and he's a very, very smart uh, economics guy. Uh, he said, you know, we got 30% up from here, okay, because he's never – He's never heard the Fed, the Fed so dovish, okay? And so I, I think we have to think about that for a while and, and work accordingly. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not sure if they're going to pass this thing a, as we see it now, but I think you got to think about it. Hey, you know, one of the areas uh, I had some people call me this week about REITs and, and the healthcare REIT pulse uh, Senior house, housing move-ins should jump in April and May, and I'll likely stabilize after that, but it could be a good kicker for this group. And um, Look, I, I, I had some recent discussions, and I read some recent reports uh, with the industry stakeholders, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Op- operators had previously downplayed the idea of pent-up demand, but due to this third wave, some expect move-ins could temporarily approach pre-COVID levels. So that would be very, very good. Remember, these these guys have to pay out 80% of their earnings and dividends, which means if earnings goes up, what happens to dividends? You know, that's kind of uh, interesting. So the priority vaccine access helped operating environment normalize more quickly than the general economy in these in the in the hospital REITs. Uh, so they they got the they got the shots first is what it comes down to. And what we see is occupancy should trend higher as consumers' confidence improves. You know, so there's a pent-up demand. We don't know what it is yet, but we think it's it's pent-up, uh, and I think that's important. And the, the supply concerns have abated a little bit. Construction activity should reaccelerate uh, sometime in the second half of this year. But the key is, I think, is that, you know, if there is more people going into these REITs, these hospital REITs, uh, there's going to be, or healthcare REITs, we'll call them, uh, there's going to be more earnings. And when there's more earnings, 
there's more dividends. <laughs> there we go. Now, I, I had some people uh, call me this week, two people. Uh, one's a client, one's not a client. He said, Tim, what do I want to buy bonds. Look, if you're going to buy bonds right now, uh, I think, you know, I have two, you know, recommended yield curve positioning between five and 10 years. Uh, and I would either do be doing a barbell, uh, you know, a barbell probably on, a, on the treasury returns where I'd be a lot in the, in the short term and a lot in the long term and just sprinkle it through the, the, uh, the, the other years, you know, and then on the corporate area, I'd be in that five to 10 year also. So municipals, I look out 10 to 15 years, but I'd either look at laddered portfolios where you have, you know, every two, four years, you have stuff coming port coming due. That way you take out the interest rate risk or use the barbell approach where you're, you're buying the specific areas of the, of the uh, yield curve that are most profitable for you. If you want more help on that, you know, give me a call. Uh, my number's, you know, WHK 1420, local, local podcast down to Smart Investor Show. Go directly to my webpage. You can either email me or call me. In the meantime, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Once again, the number here is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Just tuned in. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I had somebody call and ask about QTWO, I believe it was. Uh, uh, he asked you know, about a software company. Do I know anything about it? And, you know, there's a guy named uh, Perlin here, uh, and Dan is a really good analyst. And he follows the um, what we call the fintech companies. These are financial technology companies. They're stealing bits and pieces away from the banks, okay? Uh, J.P. Morgan, I know, is very worried about these. And we think that, that banking is among the top industries facing the greatest amount of change from digital and other technologies as innovators look to uh, capture portions of traditional revenue and their profit streams and customers, you know, for a seamless experience across channels. Uh, so th there's a lot of companies that are, are – in this report, and uh, so if anybody would like this, uh, look, we believe the data helps to frame the path and the timing of post-pandemic recovery right now, which may vary considerably between regions and industries. This re recovery path is going to affect nearly every stock in our coverage in this group, okay? So it's very important. It's a great report. Uh, it's, it's brief. It just tells you, hey, you know, here's what we like, here's what we don't like. Uh, yeah, but if you like it, uh, once again, you go to WHK1420, and uh, we'll take it from there. You know, I, I talked about these uh, environmental and social and governance companies, and uh, I, I said a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, they, they're a little stretched. <laughs> Matter of fact, they're really stretched. They've got killed, okay? Buy low, sell high, all right? So, you know, if you're, if you're into green stocks, and look uh, – uh, one thing about capitalists is I found in the past is that, uh, you know, one of the things you want to be is 
have the ability to make money no matter what the social situation is, right? Or what, you know, are, are green stocks liberals? They're liberals? Well, I don't know. They're, if you can make money off them, they're for you, right? Okay? So just just remember that. And, uh, and the other thing, um, you know, I, I was looking at some of the uh, – I, I had uh, a couple of people ask me about marijuana and, Look, I, I think, you know, they're starting to legalize marijuana in the United States. And the problem is there's only like two American-based marijuana growers. The other problem is, <laughs> you know, I, I know of a gentleman in a couple neighborhoods over that, uh, you know, got his hand slapped because he had like 180 pot plants in his basement. So the barriers to entry are not that great. I mean, uh, you know, in California, in most of the park districts, you know, the the rangers are afraid to go up there because there's so much pot being grown there, they're afraid to get shot, okay? So that's the problem. Uh, and they make it legal, it'll be very interesting to see if people start growing in their basement, that type of thing. But I look, I, I think uh, if, if they're starting to make it legal now, uh, there will be a rush in these stocks. So we do have some information on marijuana stocks if you'd like it, okay? So there we go. Um, you know, I was, <laughs> uh, I was, one of my favorite guys out there that I listen to is uh, uh, Tom McC- McQuillan. And uh, Tom has this, something called the uh, summation index. And what, what's, uh, what's interesting about it is, is he looks at the advanced decline summation index. And, you know, what he's been finding is we have these smooth up periods and then bumpy down periods. And he said, you know, when you have a smooth move in the summation index and it's almost nearly linear, it conveys a message about the strength and the direction of the move. So if you look at the weekly charts that Tom just put out, uh, you know, you have these sustained moves and then you have a bumpy down downside. Uh, but the, I think the key is, is that uh, it usually means if you, if you add a price oscillator in there, it's a very bullish scenario. So, uh, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I, I think, uh, you know, it's my opinion that uh, we're looking at some – we'll be bullish for a while. The problem is, is the bullish percent, which is what I follow, uh, <laughs> has now gone positive for the sixth time in just over a quarter. So we've been negative and positive six times. Uh, I haven't seen that ever in my career. All right, so it's and and it's it's up there. I mean, it's in the 70s. It's gone positive at 70 six times. So I don't know what that means, but uh, you know, look, here's the problem. I see it with the stock market, and I'm not sure. You know, remember I told you to buy the value stocks when their PE ratios are the highest. But right now, the PE ratio in the S&P 500 is like 43. So 43 is a pretty high number. I mean, you know, normal overbought situations around 20. Uh, so the question is, uh, will the earnings come through for those value stocks? Because they're the stocks that have been going up lately, okay? And and I guess the question is, and I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> but that's how you buy value stocks. You buy them when the P.E. ratios are high. Because usually that's when, you know, if, if, if their cycle is right, the earnings come afterwards. All right. So uh, with that, uh, you know, we, we don't know what to exactly tell you, but, you know, look, 
20 times earnings is usually expensive for the S&P 500. We're now at 43. Will the earnings follow? And that is the big question that a lot of people, you know, uh, have in the back of their head. You know, they're, they got one finger on the trigger. And the S&P 500 now is 1.4%. That's the yield. And, and the annual dividend is $57.5763 for every share of the S&P 500. Now, the payoffs ratio is also pretty high, too. So, But the yield is 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 a good thing, uh, positive thing. Um, it's still above uh, the five-year treasury. Uh, it was above the 10-year treasury. It is not anymore. You know, so uh, uh, you got to start to think, you know, uh, a little bit about that. So we have the yield down. We have the PE ratio up. And, uh, you know, look, I, I kind of look at three uh, three charts recently that I thought, this is Tim Hayes talking now, not RBC. But I looked at the Russell. You know, the Russell had a big move out, and it's kind of corrected here. And the transportations look really good, uh, the transportation index or the ETF, whatever. And and then the uh, the semiconductor index, you know, which had a big correction in, in March and April. Uh, I mean, we you know, we went from like uh, 256 all the way down to 200, and now we're back at 256. So, those three are the, have been the, the big movers, uh, you know, because transportation is important. You want if if the goods aren't going out the door, the transportations aren't doing doing well. Okay, so the goods are going out the door. There are a lot of semiconductors. We haven't actually have a shortage of semiconductors right now, and the question is, will the small caps work? And those are all questions that uh, I I don't know the answer to yet. But it's all you know. I, I sit here and pontificate, but. In the first quarter, okay, institutions raised $3 trillion in cash. And they're slowly but surely starting to put that back to work, okay? So they increased their cash balances by 9% uh, since the beginning of the year. That brings the total cash pile to $3 trillion, which represents potential firepower for equity gains uh, as they get the money to work, okay? So... If you follow the market closely, you'll know that much of the cash came from the liquidation of growth stocks. Uh, and by the way, a lot of that, a lot of the, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines for individuals too because they get hit with margin calls. Uh, and a lot of these these kids that were high on margin, they got whacked on them hard. So, you know, you, we had a 12 and a half percent decline on the on the Nasdaq Composite. That's big. The QQQs was was 12, 14 percent, and the NDX. Uh, and yeah, NDX was uh, 11 and a half. So uh, it, it was mostly growth stocks. So we had some excessive valuations after the run-ups, uh, and the bear market, uh, you know, the quick bear market caused selling these growth stocks. And some of them, you know, I mean, Salesforce.com was 282. It went down to 204. Okay, uh, you know, I'm just using that as an example. Uh, so they, they hit a lot of them. Uh, the question is, um, you know. Where do we go from here? All right. And, uh, you know, do, do we still have, uh, I, I mean, is there's still room for both the value and the growth stocks? Um, look, and I, I looked, I looked at uh, a couple of growth names that got beat up, that got beat up bad. So I, I think, you know, you got to pay attention there and, uh, uh, you know, be, be, I would just be careful, but growth stocks are cheap. 
they're very, very cheap right now. So uh, I just, you know, think it's an area to look. Anyway, we're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to talk about the bullish percent. So stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. We'll be right back. You know, um, last week on Wednesday, the uh, percent positive trend for the S&P 500 reached its highest reading ever, 91.09%. That's going back, all the way back to 1997. Uh, for those who are not familiar, which is probably most of you out there, the percent positive trend comes from our friends at Dorsey Wright. And it's an indicator that measures the percentage of stocks within a given universe that are trading in a positive point and figure trend above their bullish support line, okay? Higher readings are typically associated with very strong markets exhibiting elevated levels of participation, at least going back to 1987. Uh, it's only uh, the, the percent of the positive trend has only reached the 90% area four times. Now, if you look uh, over a one-month period, it hasn't done too well. <laughs> Over a six-month period, uh, back in 2011, we were down 9%. Uh, but we've averaged about uh, an 8.3% return. The median was about 8.1%. Uh, usually, the next month is kind of tough. But, um, you know, we, like I said, this is the only time we've we've reached 90. Uh, we're actually at 91 at this point. So the other two times, uh, we had pretty good sell-offs. They were in 2011. Um, and that was in the uh, the, the uh, spring, uh, uh, you know, the, the April May time frame, and then we sold off all the way down to the uh, 36 level, and then the other time was uh, in 2013, and that's when the small caps really took it on the on the. Matter of fact, they took two legs down. They took it on the cuff, and then back in 2015, uh, Hillary and uh, and uh, Mrs. Yellen. Um, said some nasty comments about the biotech industry, and they took them all the way down. So, uh, look, we don't know uh, what happens after this, but it's hard to go higher than this, just so you know. Okay. Um, now, we always talk about the bullish percent on this uh, show, and what it is is our, our main risk indicator. Now, there's other things that go along with this, like domestic equities are now the number one asset class. International equities are second, and right behind them are commodities. And then it's bonds, cash, currencies. And and what we want to do is, look, if the bullish percent turned over in a column of O's and domestic equities were the lowest form of life or the, the last asset class like they were in 2007 and eight, then you want to reduce your exposure drastically, okay? But as long as domestic equities are the number one asset class, you stay with them. So uh, we did turn back up into a column of X's this week. So we've gone from 80 we got to 80 this year, okay, which is pretty, you know, that's 10% above the red. Remember, 70 is the red zone, okay? The red zone is when th things are too hot to handle. So we're going into a column of X's, and we've entered the red zone at the same time. So this chart goes from 0 to 100, and what you want to be is more bullish when things are wiped out, and that's below 30 on the bullish percent. Remember, last spring we were at 5, okay? And I said it's the lowest I've ever seen it. You buy with both hands. People were scared. They didn't. 
that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's why people use me because uh, I, you know, I, I keep the emotions out of it. Uh, when you get above 70, that's the red zone. That's when things are too hot to handle. So we were at 80 in the first week of January. Then we went down to 60. Then we went to 78. Then we went down to 60. Then we went to 77. We went down to 60. Then we went to 76. We went down to 70. Now we're at 70 again. Okay. We went down to 60 again. So we're, we went into a column of X's. Uh, we wouldn't break down until 64, so it might be a while. But we're making a series of lower highs, which I don't like. Uh, but the, the bullish percent for the over-the-counter index, it was up 7, so it turned into a column of X's. And, and also the world index is still in a column of O's, so it's just more of a domestic thing. The, the small cap ideas are in better position, you know, at 57 than the, 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 you know, the New York Stock Exchange index. So it looks like small caps would be a better place to put your money, although that probably the riskiest part of the market. So, uh, you know, and, and I think that's interesting, by the way. Uh, I, I think the bullish percent on Friday at the close for the world index, I said they were in zeros. I think they might have gone positive to indexes. So uh, you know, we did see some improvement in the 10-week indicators, which is positive, and the high-low index uh, was, was a very positive uh we saw reversals there is what we should say. If we look at dynamic asset level investing, which is – this is relative strength investing, folks, and that's what a lot of institutions do. They they buy what's going up, okay? So, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to look at what's going on. So, like, one of the best performing uh, first quarter performances was the Amplified uh, Traditional Transformational Data Sharing ETF, okay? And then – the S&P 500, spider, oil and gas production, you know. So uh, we, we follow these things fairly closely, and the question is, will they maintain that? Okay, so uh, you don't know. But we've had the Dow Jones positive for six straight weeks, or the weekly momentum positive for six weeks, where we just started. Uh, we saw some of the, like the uh, EEM is still negative after eight weeks, so it, it's been holding this price, you know, uh, we talked about it at 44, it's at 53 right now, and it's been between 52 and 55 now, all this time when the momentum's been kind of just dreary for it. And and uh, we did see uh, the mid-caps turn around and the momentum turn positive. The small caps have been negative for four weeks, but they did go positive. You know, their bullish percent went positive, which is kind of hard to describe, but so there's some things starting to turn there is what I'm trying to suggest. And the QQQs, which have been negative for four weeks, are now positive. And the equal weight index has been positive for six weeks, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, whereas the S&P 500, the equal weight is each stock gets one vote. The S&P 500 trust is a market capitalization scenario. So the bigger the stock, the more influence it has on the, the uh, particular index. That and the XLG, which is just the largest 50 stocks, uh, both turned positive about a week ago, so that's that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, it, if we look at uh, some of the broader uh, indexes, um, you know, what I kind of watch is the assets under management filter. <laughs> and as the assets kind of pick up, you have to uh, pay attention. And I've been seeing the, the small cap value and the small cap or the Russell micro cap there's been 23, 24% increases in assets under management for those things. So those are names that you should probably be watching over the next couple of months, days, whatever, because uh, the more money they get, you know, they buy more, right? So, 
Um, you know, uh, I, I noticed a couple things. The the uh, the Dow Jones Select Dividend ETF uh, had a gain of 18.5%. Remember, we've been talking about dividends being out of favor. Well, they're starting to get back more in favor. And the best performing broad U.S. fund was the Vanguard S&P 500 small cap uh, value, which we've been talking about for some time now. We talked about small caps. We talked about value. Lori Calcivina has been saying that. Uh, Tom Lee's been talking about value trade. Uh, now, Tom's also talking about a rotation back to some of the growth stocks. So we'll see uh, if Tom, Tom's been very right. So uh, matter of fact, if, if you take him and Lori uh, Calcivina together, uh, your roadmap would have been perfect. Uh, if you're, you know, 2020 vision is always hindsight, right? But uh, in hindsight, if you would have listened to the two of them, uh, you would have been in great shape. Now, we only have 14 sectors that are favored right now, and most of them are overbought. And so I'm going to talk about these, but I'm going to start off with the most overbought. Okay, so these are the ones you wait for. And these are insurance, banks, savings and loans, and buildings. Uh, builders, they're at 84%. Chemicals are at 76%. At 70 are transportation, aerospace, forest and paper products, semiconductors, gas utilities, and restaurants. So I still wouldn't touch those. Uh, and then down at uh, uh, the 50 or the 60 level, you have steel, textiles, leisures, and oil service. So those you can look into those. And we have nothing under 30, but we have biotech, drug, precious metals, and Wall Street, which are not favored. Are at 34, so they're getting close to that 30 level. For you want to look for a reversal up. Um, it's amazing how fast they whacked the biotechs, and it's amazing how many people bought into them right before they whacked them. So, I think those could have been margin calls. As far as uh, you know, things changing. Semiconductors went, you know, which have been unfavored. Remember, they were 26. They've gone to 80. So they made a big move in a very short period of time. So semiconductors went favored. Uh, computers were unfavored too. They went to average, and electric utilities were uh, a wipeout, and they're starting to turn. Remember, we talked about buying yield when it's up. Okay, so utility prices have been down, their yields have been up. That's when you buy them, folks. Okay. Um, so somebody talked to me about. I had some questions about uh, international equities, and the the best performing asset class in the first quarter was India, and it was their small caps. Uh, they, they gained about 15% during that quarter. So, uh, you know, we had a couple other names, Saudi Arabia and Chile. Uh, uh, both had double-digit gains. Uh, Taiwan and uh, uh, South Africa, Sweden, Netherlands, and the international value factor all had uh, better-than-average uh, performance. China and Latin America were the ETFs that performed the worst in the first quarter. So, uh, look, uh, as they did for much of 2020, if you're looking at bonds, the equity-linked areas of fixed income, like uh, preferred securities and convertible bonds, once again, were the strongest areas of the fixed income market. I've been talking about convertible bonds in the show now for two and a half years. Uh, you know, they're a great place to be. Uh, if you're going to be in bonds uh, in a bull market, that's the place to be. Look. The problem with bonds is they've been a 40-year a bull market, not a 50, but a 40-year bull market. Uh, you know, they peaked in 1982, uh, and, and then they started to move, make their way down. We're in 2020. One, okay? So we're 40 years, 39 years gone, okay? So we, you know, look, deflation has been occurring during that entire time. 
mostly because of technology. Uh, also, the CDO situation, the financial thing did not help. Uh, but the point is, is you're, I think you're pressing your luck if you're buying bonds for capital preservation. You want to ladder them. You want to use barbell approach if you're using treasuries and CDs. You want to ladder them if you're buying municipals or corporates, okay? And if you're not, look at convertible bonds. Look at preferred securities. Uh, they, they tend to be especially convertible preferreds. Those those are, uh, you know, if you get a hold of those, if you get the right company, you'll probably be in good shape, okay? So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention just real briefly was the uh, uh, relative strength changes. Remember, relative strength is a measure of how the stock is performing when compared to something else. In this case, it's the S&P 500 equal weight. We just had four buy signals. It was BGC Partners, which is in financial service, uh, MB Oil Trust, Terra Therapeutics, and Sunworks. Uh, on the sell side, we had Benavistas, uh, Teoping, uh, The Nine Limited, Carol's Restaurant, and uh, Geospace Technology. So uh, there we go. Hey, we'll be right back with Insiders. Stay tuned. Uh, if you got a question, once again, it's 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. We're back. Okay, we're back. We're living in America. <laughs> anyway, as we always do, uh, you know, we, we started out with Lori Calcivina, our big strategist, and we've, we've talked about a bunch of things like strategies and then a couple different industries. And we talked about the technicals that we've seen. And now we're going to talk, and we talked about relative strength. Don't forget about relative strength. That's, you know, when you add the technicals with the fundamentals, you can make a lot of money, folks. Uh, and you can do it in the bond market too, by the way, and, and the commodities market and everything else. So, but when we talk about insiders, this is where we're getting to names. Relative strength names are important. The insiders buying are important. And let me just make a, you know, Century Bank Corp. C N B K A. Three weeks ago, there was eight insider buyers. They got taken over. That's a quick twenty percent, folks. <laughs> so if you don't think this stuff works, think again. We did have uh, a couple names here, and, and I got a call from uh, Sylvia, uh, not the other Sylvia, but uh, I have, I have a good, good friend named Sylvia. Uh, but this is a, uh, Sylvia from the uh, far west side, and she said, why don't you ever talk about SPACs? So I, I thought I'd talk about SPACs a little bit in, in the you know, uh, insider purchase area, and New Providence uh, acquisition uh, corporation, Hirosha Mikatani, uh, a director, bought $25 million worth. And then replay acquisition, which really got beat up. It was 10, it's down to 948. Uh, Edmund Sefra, who's co-chief executive officer, bought a million shares at $10 million. That's kind of, uh, that's good stuff. And then uh, we had a couple of software companies. Uh, uh, Rob Refkin, who's a pretty smart guy, the chairman CEO of uh the uh, Compass Inc. and uh, he, he bought 7.4 million on the initial public offering, and then we had uh, Nesco Holdings, which is now uh, CTO is the symbol CTO C I think. Uh, they 
they had several buys. We had uh, Mark Allen, who's the director. Uh, we had Ryan McDonald, who's the CEO and president. Um, we had uh, Marshall Heinberg. All these guys bought like half a million, million, two million. Um, and then we had uh, another 250,000, another two and a quarter, you know, then another 120, 125, 125. So uh, we had seven, eight buyers all buying between 100 to, to a million dollars worth. Those are the kind of guys you want to see. I forgot uh, to mention that uh, in New Providence also had uh, Adriana Cineranos, who she bought $2 million worth, too. So uh, then we had a couple others, Applied Molecular Transport, which got kind of beat up. Uh, it was almost 80, and it's now at 48. It got beat up a little bit. And a director, Dave Lemon, bought uh, about a million dollars worth of stock. And then also Cosair Gaming, which is a computer hardware. Uh, we had... Um, a gentleman, Randall Weisenberger, who's uh, he, he's got. I read up on him. He knows what he's talking about. He bought a million dollars worth of the stock, and then uh, also uh, Joan Realty. We had uh, several buyers here. Um, it's it's especially it's Joanne. Uh, it's Wade Micklin, who's president and CEO. He bought a uh, half a million dollars, uh, but we also had two uh, two others that bought. Uh, uh, about $250,000 worth. Now, I had a couple other names that um, I uh, thought I'd mention too. Storage technology. I'm sorry, not storage tech. I always get this wrong because I uh, it's Seagate uh, technology. Uh, storage tech uh, was a name I made a lot of money on in the old days. But Seagate technology, we had the C chief information officer buy 45,000 uh, shares uh, which, you know, the stock is uh, at 80, uh, so it's it, it's not chump change, okay? And the, um, the executive vice president of global sales bought 28,100 shares, so that's not chump change either. Uh, you like to see, you know, multiple calls. And then uh, Crenetics Pharmaceuticals, uh, Perceptive Biosciences, uh, Perceptive is, is big in the biosciences area, uh, they are a 10% owner of the stock, and they went out and bought another 5 million shares, and that's what you like. And then um, Persigen, which is a big holding of Randall Kirk, who's uh, was had a magic touch there for a long time and has been kind of cold, uh, mostly because the entire group has been cold. We had 12 buyers, 12 insider buyers, uh, between 12,000 and 28,000 shares in the last week. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I saw a lot of buyers in these type of companies, uh, you know, small biotech companies like BlackRock and 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 I I saw it with Fidelity and Vanguard and they're still there. Okay, they haven't sold any, so it'll be interesting to see uh, where we go from there. Um, but you know, look, uh, here's some things I see. You know, so we're we're talking Turkey here. Uh, remember, gold leads interest rates by about 20 months, okay? That's uh, from Tom McWellen, and he's a very bright guy. I, I read his newsletter every week, okay? He's, he knows what he's talking about. So if gold has been heading south and it peaked, uh, interest rates should be peaking for the time time being anyway. Now, that may be a tactical view, not an investment view. It may be a tactical view, okay? But um, if you look, uh, some of the things, you know, um, 
that I see out there. And, and Rob Schleimer had a good point, and he he's been talking about the VIX and the VIX futures, you know, contract. If you you know, we're looking at the futures now, not at the VIX. Remember that, okay? The VIX is at 17, but the VIX futures were at 24.90, and they've broken through. Uh, so if that continues, we'll probably see some interesting stuff going on. And then he also talks about this weekly quadrant balance indicator. And, and I think it's important because the monthly is, is pretty overbought, but it can stay that way for a while, while the weekly looks like it's turning up. It's making a higher low. So we'll see if that, uh, you know, how far we go with that. But one of the things I think you got to keep in your mind is the long term versus the short term. In the long term, we're in a secular bull market. In the short term, you get excited over small moves, all right? Now, look, people say, oh, I may lose all my money in the stock market. The only people I know that lose money in a big way in the stock market is those that leverage their accounts to the hilt. Without leverage, you know, you don't, you don't have the 30 or 40 or 50% returns, but you can make 14, 15% a year. Trust me, I've been doing it. <laughs> I got accounts that are doing quite well, you know, uh, you know, between 12 and 16%. And we're not using any kind of leverage. All right. We're just using our head. So look, we're, we're kind of interesting key levels right now. And I think we're right up at the top. Of, you know, when you, when you have an uptrend, what you do is you draw a line above the higher highs and a draw, draw a line uh, connecting the higher lows. And we're near the higher high, which is usually a place where in a bull market you pause or you, you know, stop for a while. And, uh, you know, look, the, the Russell 2000 broke out big, and it's the first breakout since really, uh, you know, I think you can go all the way back to 2013. And uh, it's holding. So the question is, you know, I mean, will it hold? And, uh, you know, that may be a great area. But it, the other area, I think, is growth versus value. You know, wh which way do we go? Okay. Now, growth, you know, if you look at the long-term chart, growth versus value, it was way above the trend line. I mean, way above the trend line. Now, it's broken down versus value in the short run. And I'm talking daily now, a daily chart. So the, the question is, uh, will that continue? I don't know. I mean, look, uh, growth has lagged value since September. Uh, we've been talking about it for two years now. And I think the only reason to stop it was the uh, coronavirus uh, but the other thing is cyclicals versus bonds, I think, um, are pausing. You know, they had a big run-up. Uh, you know, we talked about that. We talked about the epicenter stocks last summer, okay? That was a great call by Tom Lee uh, and Lori Calvacina. Calvacina, I'm sorry. I'll get that right eventually. Um, so they may pause for a while while the growth stocks go ahead. And, and I think there will be a, a, a move back and forth between growth and value. I think growth is going to have a hard time making the gains they did last fall for the time being anyway. Uh, one of the things that I think you got to pay attention to is the 10-year government yield. Uh, not the bond, but the yield. As the yield goes up, the bond goes down. And we're right in an area that has quite a bit of resistance. And I said, you know, we had to break over 187. Uh, then we go into two. Well, we never made it there. We, we came pretty close. The other thing is, if you look, um, if you look at relative strength on the, the bond itself, remember, as the bond goes up, yield goes down, the bonds have got beat up pretty bad. I mean, 
Uh, we were at 179 on the TLT, and we're now at 134, so that's a pretty big hit. But the relative strength is pretty oversold. It's beginning to bottom a little bit. So there may be a, a bit of a rally in interest rates. You know, maybe, maybe it just, maybe this goes sideways for a while. But uh, the U.S. dollar rallied up and then pulled back and then rallied up a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see. It's still, if I look at the monthly and the weekly in the dollar, it's still kind of, uh, it's in a tough area. And same with commodities. Commodities are right at their downtrend line dating back to, you know, like 2009 when they peaked out. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we go there. So what would I do now? Look, one of the things I've been talking about for a long time is dividend growth and, and prime income list. And they have underperformed, okay? They're starting to get people behind them. There's money starting to flow into them. The dividend, two of the dividend ETFs that I follow were up 15 and 18% in the first quarter, all right? So the dividend stocks are great. Look at the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list. Prime income list is for those who are retired and just need current income. The dividend growth are for you people. Well, they, they can be for retirees too. But those people are 40. Just imagine if you have an 8% dividend growth. You can't fake dividends, folks. And it keeps compounding for you years after years. By the time you retire, you can retire on dividends. Barron's just said that. But we also have our business owner's guide to transition, our savvy investor's credit workbook. For all you guys in the 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 young professionals, we have a new workbook for you guys. Uh, our ADRs, our top ideas, both small cap, multi cap, we have them all. So if you want them, let us know. In the meantime, have a great weekend. It's a beautiful day. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.